Today, my guest is Professor Vikas Kumar. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Vikas as a person. Professor Kumar is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many patient students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Kumar is the editor-in-chief of Journal of International Management and served as a senior and reviewing editor at Asia-Pacific Journal of Management and as an associate editor at Cross-Cultural and Strategic Management. He was the editor-in-chief of Journal of Asia Business Studies and sits on the editorial review boards of Journal of Management Studies, Journal of World Business, Management International Review, and Global Strategy Journal. In a 2016 study, Vikas was ranked among the top 15 authors based on impact in the field of emerging market firm internationalization. Thank you, Vikas, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Vikas, um, first, uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? Um, as a child, actually, I didn't have anything in particular that I wanted to become uh, when I grew up. In fact, uh, I wanted to become a lot of things. And all those things that I wanted to become were actually manifestations of uh, uh, what I was being exposed to. So I clearly remember that uh, for a while I was really fascinated um, by becoming uh, uh, or trying to join the police force. Uh, because um, I watched a few Bollywood movies at that time, and I remember my favorite actor, Amitabh Bachchan, did a fantastic job as uh, one of the cop in that movie. Uh, but see, it evolved very quickly. Uh, I did want to, for a while, uh, become a pilot. And later on, uh, in high school and college, uh, I got fascinated by the consulting industry. One of my close friends, actually, a little bit senior to me, uh, joined McKinsey. Uh, and he used to come back and tell us all the stories uh, about how food was completely free in the office. And I thought, right, that, that's how <laughs> I could actually become a consultant. But the one thing I didn't want to become, I would have to actually say, is a professor or a teacher. And the reason was because my dad is a professor. And uh, while growing up, uh, he was a professor of mechanical engineering um, at the place where I grew up, which was Patna, a small town in, in India. And uh, while I loved the lifestyle that he had, because on many occasions I could see him coming back for lunch at home. And my uncle used to live with us and my uncle worked in a bank and he had to drive on his motorcycle, um, you know, 20, 25 kilometers, almost an hour every day while my dad would just walk home for lunch. Uh, <laughs> one thing I, the one thing I hated was, uh, was that the money at that time, at least for professors uh, was not very attractive. Uh, for a child to become become one one day. So that was the one thing I didn't want to become. I mean, there was a trade-off, right? It was a trade-off. But uh, how did you choose IB as a field? So uh, in my high school, I actually chose the economics. Um, and then uh, I got very interested in, in, that, uh, in that subject, uh, which made me actually do my undergraduate studies in economics as well. And amongst, uh, I clearly remember, I remember amongst all the uh, courses that I did, uh, macroeconomics was the one which was the most interesting to me, uh, which got me interested uh, into a little bit of policy level uh, issues, uh, but particularly into actually choosing to do my master's in international business at uh, the Indian Institute of Foreign Trade, uh, which was in Delhi. So I did my undergraduate studies in Delhi um, and then uh, IIFT uh, was also in Delhi. And at that time, it was uh, the 
most reputable institution to study international trade, international business. Mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate enough to actually get into that and get a spot um, in FT. And I think that is where um, uh, I got really uh, exposed to uh, all the trade that happened, all the complexities of international business. Uh, I do remember getting in touch with uh, some of my seniors from my institution who had gone ahead and uh, pursued further studies in the UK and in the US. Um, while most of uh, the graduates from my institution would join um, the industry, uh, I somehow actually uh, thought I have a few more years before I could join the industry. And I thought better in, uh, invest those years in studying a little bit more. And, uh, and that is how I got into exploring about uh, opportunities uh, of studying IB. Um, and, and I applied from places in the US, some places in the UK, I remember. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, something uh, that is not on your CV that people might find interesting. Uh, the one thing that I find interesting is uh, that I made a lot of changes, and I'm sure that people would also find interesting. I made a lot of changes as a kid, as a child. So I would have actually attended, I think, maybe close to eight schools uh, before, before uh, completing my year 12. And, and that included actually two different countries. So, so as a kid, actually, when I was in year one and year two, so when I was uh, five years old, I, I lived in Bangkok at the Asian Institute of Technology. That is where my dad was doing his PhD, PhD in industrial engineering. So I clearly uh, remember how different that place was. Um, so I was growing up in Patna, which is a relatively small town in India. And all of a sudden at age five, um, I go to Bangkok and I live uh, in, in this, I think American funded university. And I go to a school where I have uh, along with me Russians and Indonesians and Dutch um, and Filipinos, some Indians. And, and that is when it struck me how different uh, uh, the world is. And, and particularly when I came back to Patna, I realized, hey, that was, that was a whole different uh, ballgame altogether. And then later on, uh, uh, later on uh, I also actually lived in Libya for two years. Uh, uh, when I was doing my class uh, or year seven and eight. And these are things which I think uh, uh, very few people know. Um, uh, but this is something which I, I think has really shaped the way uh, I actually do things or the, or the way I have actually maybe got into international business uh, to be true. Interesting. Uh, regrets, have you got any regrets? Uh, not a lot, I would have to say, uh, but the one regret that I, that I can think of is I never really got a chance to work extensively in the industry, uh, particularly in India. Uh, and the reason why I say that that is a regret because, uh, because I do research on Indian firms. I do research on emerging markets, uh, uh, very much focused towards India. And I just think that it would have been fabulous if I had the firsthand experience of actually working in, in, uh, in the Indian industry, working for corporates there. I had short stints, and which were very enjoyable. So I, I worked for a market research company in India, uh, uh, which was at that time called ORG Mark, and which now is part of the American company, American market research company, Nielsen. Um, and I also worked uh, uh, for a dot-com uh, called Ties to Family. Uh, in uh, 2000, and this was started by two ex-McKinsey 
uh, guys and I was part of the group. They, they called me uh, to join the marketing team and we were a small group of seven people. So I really enjoyed, learned a lot. Uh, it could have actually become the uh, Facebook uh, from India. Obviously it did not, uh, but it was a fantastic experience of uh, what it takes to, to work in a dot-com and to, to make it happen, to make it big. Why did it fail? Uh, I think it failed because uh, the, the market was not ready. I think uh, thinking back, uh, I would have to say uh, the, the technology was not mature, the market was not ready. It, it, and, and maybe obviously our systems and, and strategies that we had in place uh, was not in line with uh, the demands and the context at that particular time. So I clearly remember I was actually going to different cities across India and signing up people at, at, uh, uh, at, at some of the uh, studios so that they could actually give their pictures and we could then create a website for them so that they can then share it with their families uh, abroad who were in the US, who were, who were in the UK and other places. Um, it was just taking too long. And I think at that time, at least in India, uh, internet, was, internet was not going to be available. Uh, the context was not right. Interesting. Uh, what are you most passionate about? Uh, I am passionate about uh, about researching some of the unique aspects of uh, emerging market, some of the unique aspects of countries such as India and how they can uh, impact firm behavior, firm strategy, uh, both local firms uh, from India, but also foreign firms. Um, so I do see uh, a lot of a gap uh, in the literature, a lot of gap in the knowledge that we have. Uh, and and I'm, I'm passionate about actually bringing that uh, to the wider community. I'm passionate about actually uh, exposing the possibilities for all of us to actually learn from these uh, relatively smaller places and smaller instances, uh, which can teach uh, many of us uh, about how business is done in different parts of the world. Because let's, let's switch to research, talking about research. Uh, how do you explain your research and the importance of your uh, academic work to people who don't read your, read, read your stuff regularly, like laymen? Uh, that's, let's say you're stranded on the side of the road. How do you explain what you do to them? Uh, well, I, 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 I would typically do something which I do uh, in my introductory class in global business that I teach. Uh, which is uh, which is I pick up a product um, and say, uh, can you think of any global linkages uh, of of this particular product? And uh, and instantly, uh, students and I would imagine people um, who are a little bit aware of of what happens uh, would start to think of, hey, there are some elements of this product which are not uh, made conceived in the local environment. So if say I'm, I'm stuck uh, on a roadside pub here in Australia, uh, I could actually pick up uh, the most popular beer here, which is uh, WeB, Victoria uh, Bitter. And, and I could ask them uh, whether they knew which company and from where owns that particular brand. And, uh, and maybe people are not aware of that. Uh, that, that it is actually not an Australian owned company anymore. It's actually Asahi from Japan, which owns that uh, brand. 
And, and then I would go ahead and actually uh, try to explain uh, as to why a company from Japan operates in Australia uh, by buying this brand. Uh, and, and, and the reasons why it makes sense for a company uh, such as WeB to sell actually its brand and its business to a foreign company. I could move so, on and actually talk about maybe some of the other products in the pub, maybe maybe the wines that are there and, and ask uh, why a lot of this wine is actually sold in China. In fact, uh, the sales of uh, Australian wine in China last year, 2020, uh, was close to $1 billion. So that's close to 40% of the total exports of the Australian uh, wine industry, just to one country. Uh, so why are all these uh, Australian wine uh, manufacturers thinking so closely about China? Uh, what are the benefits of maybe thinking a little bit away and differently and thinking about other markets, maybe other markets such as India? So, so I basically use examples uh, of things around me to explain uh, what I try to do, what I try to understand. Interesting, effective. Uh, about omitted variables or understudied areas of research in IB, what can you say? See, something related to what I was mentioning, I, I'm passionate about some of those uh, unique characteristics, attributes of these emerging markets or, or new markets that have not been studied and explored so much. I think uh, while we have actually done a lot, uh, we are only getting into understanding the variations that exist, variations in terms of institutions, in terms of culture, in terms of uh, income levels, in terms of infrastructure within countries. And I think uh, although international business is, uh, is cross-border uh, transactions and study of that, I think there's a lot of value and merit in understanding also some of the intra-country differences that exist because they do play a huge role in, in, in shaping firms' international behavior. So I would say one of the omitted variables and, and not for any uh, wrong reasons, it's just that we have not reached that uh, stage is focusing and digging deeper into the, the differences that exist within countries and how we bring that out and make use of those uh, factors in understanding how international business works. If a patient comes to you and asks uh, for advice to, uh, to come up with a good dissertation topic for the next five to 10 years of in the field, well, what would be a good dissertation uh, topic, question, context, uh, in your opinion? So there could be many, but see, the, in line with what I've been saying, I, I would really suggest uh, uh, the PhD student in this particular case to focus on exploring a relationship which can be explained better by utilizing certain unique aspects of the context in which the study is rooted. And, and, and by that token, I would actually encourage that person to actually study something which he is actually embedded in because that is what uh, he would or she would be able to understand uh, and decipher much more than something which is far, far away. Uh, so context-focused study. And in fact, uh, if, uh, if they can focus on contextualizing uh, the entire study and also maybe the theory that actually they end up using, uh, that would be something very interesting, something um, very novel uh, with which they can make a huge contribution. Uh, thank you. How about creativity in research? 
uh, where do creative ideas come from? How, how do these creative ideas come from? Is there a trick? Is there a uh, process? I think there is a trick. And I think the trick is to actually focus on the impact of that idea. And, uh, and this is something which, um, which is missing in some of the research that, uh, that I've been doing and some of the research which in general, I think our field actually does. Uh, so there is clearly a lack of impact um, uh, of, of the end product, but also lack of impact in terms of our thinking when we start off on a research. So, so the true creativity uh, in research and scholarship would be, hey, if you can actually come up with, um, come up with a finding which has a very demonstrable, uh, clear impact on, on obviously the immediate uh, group that we, we converse with, which is the academic group, but clearly also beyond that. So all the different stakeholders uh, that are there, so including the larger society, if one can make an impact there, it is definitely very, very creative. Thank you. About uh, the culture of IB uh, scholarship, which is evolving as a field, uh, it's actually a very young field, maturing uh, and going through an evolution. What can you say about the uh, evolution of the field? I think it's uh, rapidly evolving. Uh, the way I actually see it is uh, uh, like businesses, it is also actually gravitating to the East uh, from the West. Uh, and again, for very justifiable reasons. So, uh, so a lot of dynamic uh, businesses uh, and international businesses started to emerge uh, in the Western countries uh, like US, uh, like Western Europe. Uh, and, and it was not surprising that majority of our uh, initial IB scholars emerged from those places. Uh, but as businesses are actually shifting more and more towards uh, the East, particularly I would say China, we see a number of people uh, interested in studying uh, these markets and studying businesses in these markets uh, while being based in the US. But also, I think very interestingly, we see a lot of scholars uh, in these parts of the world. So based in China, based in India, based in uh, the emerging markets uh, who are actually uh, studying these topics and being able to contribute to the mainstream IB research. So in terms of um, the evolution, I think that is uh, the number one evolution that I can actually think of. Thank you. Uh, when you were going through the PhD program, who was your advisor? Who was your uh, mentor? Uh, so very nice uh, person, Dr. John Zhao. Uh, extremely modest, would never talk about um, all the big achievements that he had. Um, very, very helpful. Um, and, uh, and he is uh, still at St. Louis University uh, where I did my PhD. And um, what was the best advice you received from him? I think one of the advice that uh, at that time, I remember that he was trying to get a, a paper published in ASQ, uh, Administrative Science Quarterly. Um, and, uh, and obviously that is a tough journal to get published in. That was a tough journal at that time as well. And I think uh, not directly, uh, but indirectly, he used to actually tell us that, uh, uh, that you gotta keep trying. Um, you gotta keep trying uh, to get your work published in, in the best possible journals. And, and that also meant kept trying in a number of different things. So not only getting your research published, but also for example, in, in, in getting uh, say academic jobs in getting scholarships and getting funding 
um, in getting um, your work actually um, out there and creating an impact. And that has had a profound impact in the way I have been actually operating in my academic career, uh, where I see that uh, continuing to try is the most important thing. Interesting. Uh, based on your editorial experience, editorial board or review board uh, or uh, editorship experience, what are some of the mistakes that junior faculty or patient students are making um, that uh, that you would give advice not to do? Um, so the one common mistake, and this might not be surprising, is uh, is when, when junior scholars or when anybody actually sends the, uh, their paper to a journal, um, they should have actually read that journal where they're actually uh, sending the paper to. And by reading, I mean they should uh, uh, proactively integrate uh, some of the work that has been published there. Uh, and create a conversation and, and try to build up on something that has happened, not just in the field, but in that particular journal. Uh, this, uh, this is definitely very appealing to editors um, and also to reviewers of that journal. And uh, this is a very common mistake, which uh, many do, where once they get a reject from a certain journal and maybe a, a slightly uh, better ranked journal, uh, they would take that uh, piece and just submit as is to the next journal. And uh, while the ideas in, that, uh, in the article could be actually really good, uh, I, I think that is a big mistake, uh, not spending uh, just a little bit of time in trying to integrate uh, their work with the conversations that are happening in, in that journal. Yep. Uh, yeah, so one of, uh, one of the advice that I would have uh, for PhD students uh, who are submitting and junior scholars for submitting articles to journals is, is to actually read and incorporate some of the articles, some of the work that has happened in that journal, uh, because that definitely uh, creates um, a very strong intention in the, um, in the eyes of the editors and the reviewers that this person is really uh, wanting to get their work uh, published in that journal. But see, general advice, if, if you're asking about also more general advice, actually never to give up, um, get used uh, to rejections as quickly, uh, as soon as possible, uh, build up resilience, that helps a lot, uh, and also believe uh, in the work that they're doing. So just because uh, their, their work gets rejected at a certain journal uh, does not mean that that work is not novel, not interesting. It is just that um, a few people, including the editor and the reviewers didn't find it uh, uh, interesting. Uh, obviously learn from the feedback, uh, try to incorporate that as much as possible and move on to the next outlet. I remember one of my professors saying that there's always a place uh, for every, every work, for every uh, research. And I firmly believe in that. Uh, so again, going back to what I was mentioning, uh, continue to keep trying and, and be passionate and, uh, and really committed to the work. What was the uh, paper, which paper, which one of, uh, which paper so far gave you the hardest time to publish? They get rejected a couple of times, had to be revised a couple of times. Uh, can you remember? Uh, right, so I have one of my papers published in um, in Dibs in 2020 last year, and uh, it went through uh, 
it went through a, a number of revisions in GIFs, uh, which was uh, which was painful in a way, but which was also satisfying uh, in the sense that that we learned a lot. Uh, but I think the more painful process uh, for that particular paper was all the journals that it went through prior to actually going through at GIFs. So I remember that it went through three rounds of revisions at AMJ. Uh, way back in 2013, and at the end it was rejected. So that that was actually quite painful. Uh, but me and my co-authors actually never gave up. Uh, so uh, we were we were quite uh, we were quite uh, uh, intent in in getting that idea out, um, and uh, and uh, uh, we kept making slight changes. Uh, uh, to the, to the ideas and to the way we actually uh, conducted this study, uh, but we never gave up again. Um, so it was, uh, it was a long journey. It was uh, quite tough in many regards. Uh, uh, one of the toughest part was that we had to really uh, update the data uh, and that required a lot of time. Uh, but at the end, uh, it was a very satisfying process and, and I'm quite actually uh, pleased that it finally found a from where it can actually uh, be impactful, effective for, for other researchers. Well, how many years did it take for you to publish that? So it's difficult to say the number of years because um, it obviously led to a lot of other research ideas in the process and we were successful in getting some of the papers uh, published in other journals, but but this this would have actually unfortunately taken maybe close to a decade. The lesson is there is hope. <laughs> okay, um, Vikas, what is one uh, question that I should have asked you but haven't? Uh, it's a difficult one. I think the role of luck, actually, like in businesses, there's a huge role of luck. What is the role of luck in academic career? And you could possibly ask it to other scholars as well. And I, I believe that there's a huge role there. So you've got to be at the right time at the right place, know the right people. And, um, and be committed to your work. Thank you. Because thank you so much for this interview. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you. Thank you.